Welcome to Heart Yoga Radio. Recording in the house today, it's uh, February the 19th, 2023. And it's been some time since uh, we did an interesting times. But uh, Anna and myself have become, become a little bit jaded with uh, current affairs, given that the trend seems to be for just more and more of the same idiocy. Nevertheless, I'm, we do try and keep abreast of the main things, and we continue to do so. And uh, I would particularly like to keep abreast of the ways in which the mainstream media relentlessly pollutes the public discourse with all kinds of distractions, scapegoats, imaginary enemies, c- celebrity scandal and gossip, royal bollocks, alien invasions, dead cats. Whilst the world is on the brink of world war, whilst hawks in various governments are ratcheting up a cold war in China, whilst political division and cultural division are intensifying. In fact, the whole fragmentary pattern that we frequently frequently speak of is accelerating. Uh, Of course, climate change is, I'm sorry to inform you, not magically going away. And the UK, amongst other countries, is experiencing an increase in COVID, in in deaths from COVID-19, which is still circulating freely around our planet. Uh, Welcome to the apocalypse. Uh, But one thing that has jumped out at me, uh, and perhaps induced me to set aside my uh, perder on current affairs news, is how much the topic of central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, seems to be getting into my various feeds and vying for some news space at the moment. In this context, we should note that the Bank of International Settlement, the BIS, the BIS, are doing extensive research into already existing uh, cryptocurrencies. And uh, the the BIS, by the way, uh, just so that you know what it is, it's the bank uh, which supplies the banking services required by all of the world's central central banks, such as the Bank of England and the Federal Reserve in the US and the European Central Bank and so on. Even the world's central banks of their own bank. So you can see what a kind of beast the BIS is and, and it, it seems obvious that it would wield a certain amount of power given the job that it does. In fact... Um, the, the base is particularly researching a certain type of existing cryptocurrency, which is known as a stable coin. Now, these are d- digital coins, inverted commas, coins in inverted commas, because they're virtual, which are deliberately set up to more or less retain parity with the US dollar and not to be subjected to the, the massive volatility of other, other cryptocurrencies like, like Bitcoin, which can drop 50% in a day and gain 50% in a day and uh, so they're very the the the, the is very interested in this uh, style of uh, cryptocurrency so there's a lot of to and fro about that in the news at the moment notably the Bank of England is also making the news saying that they'll have a CBDC by 2030 these kind of items are regularly finding their way into the news and the public discussions on social media and the wider internet. Now, the dystopian conservatives make a lot of noise in these discussions, which have some of the characteristics of their natural habitat, culture wars. So there's an attempt to 
perhaps mobilise some of this news in a, in a, in a culture war item. And dystopian conservatives are also generally technophobes and generally tend to project an anti-science scepticism. And we saw these claims demonstrating in London again this week. And the thing now is that they don't like cities attempting to reduce the, the amount of air pollution. Uh, uh, as, as, as though that was some kind of affront to their freedom. There are less, there are less fascist technophobes and uh, more widely distributed in society, and and, and these are also as vocal on this matter as they ever have been. I mean, they've been vocal on this for quite a long time. And of course, the, the right wing press and its oligarch masters and their angers on us are very ambivalent about crypto, cryptocurrency. And for example, you'll get some of the big investment banks uh, buying up tons and tons of crypto, but talking it down in the news at the same time. Obviously, this is part of a situation in which investment banks and other giant finance capital organs are big enough to manipulate crypto markets. Uh, which they love, actually, for their volatility. There is a kind of a, 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 a type of a employee in these industries who are very, very good at gambling profitably on volatile markets. Uh, and they have the, the know-how and the, and the trading bots and the computer programs to pretty well always make a profit out of a volatility. And they certainly uh, have managed to do that with the crypto sector. Because basically their modus operandi is, is gambling, ultimately. It's gambling with the best kind of predictive mechanisms that they can get their hands on and the best tipsters that they can get their hands on. Now, none of this is an exact science, but there's enough room for stats and patterns for some people to get pretty good at it. In this context, the dystopian conservative section of the commentariat has been very, very busy getting its knickers in a twist about central bank digital currency. Now, I'm not completely up to speed with the detail, and actually defining a CBDC is something that's fairly controversial. I mean, I just looked on Wikipedia to see what, what they say, and they, they make the point that, well, nobody's quite sure what exactly uh, what it is. Okay, this is a definition I got from the internet. Uh, what are central bank digital currencies? And uh, the reply I got from uh, our good friends at Google or uh, whoever it was uh, said this, the following, quote, Central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, are digital currencies issued by central banks. Ha ha. They are similar to cryptocurrencies but differ in that they are backed by a central authority and have a direct link to the local currency and they're usually not necessarily available to the public. Now, that last point, not available to the public. Now, what I'm reading elsewhere is that the, 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 the plans are afoot to uh, make the digital currencies available to, to ordinary citizens. Other, other initiatives seem to want to make the currency available to uh, finance capital, to, to, to specialist actors within the, the realm of finance capital. And, and we know that this is going on afoot, that over 80 countries in the world have got central bank digital currency projects in process. Uh, there is already a digital yuan, there's a, 
a digital currency in the Bahamas. I think India is well well on the way. Uh, and this is a set of initiatives that just seems to have a bit of momentum and seems to be going forward. I mean, basically, the idea is that, that, that a citizen or someone who's allowed to, someone who's in, in the in crowd, can have an account directly with the, the country's central bank. So you would have a, an account as a citizen in one scenario with, with directly with the Bank of England. And that, that money would, would be uh, controlled by the central bank, so it would, it would be legal tender. Uh, so it would have the, the backing of the government and the, that, that same kind of uh, solidity that we expect from a, a, an official legal tender currency. Having said that, I mean, the whole reason that cryptocurrencies grew up and were, were developed and are being developed is, is because it's perceived that the fiat currencies, the central, the ordinary central bank money as we have it now, is, is not ex exactly as solid as people think it is. It's not very reliable and the banks are not that stable. And remember, Bitcoin was... Uh, produced and launched in 2009 as a direct result of the 2008 crash, which was really a rip-off uh, of, of the public at large in, in pretty well all parts of the world by commercial banks. Goldman Sachs made $30 billion out of the collapse of the economy that it basically brought about or was one of the one of the instrumental parties in bringing that about through its its, its reckless uh, uh, behaviour in the financial markets, particularly you know with relation to um, uh, collateralised debt obligations and and dodgy dodgy mortgages, basically fetch the economy down because of its irresponsible behaviour of the banks. And because of a, a currency setup that kind of allows all this to happen. Anyway, um, so but the implications of CBDCs has been clear right from the very start, and we've been sort of kind of clear about this right from the start. You know the dystopian possibilities. And you recall I got quite enthusiastic about what Bitcoin and so on represented years ago, and I was already experimenting with it and wondering about it and trying to think about economics uh, on on the aspect of money to the best of my limited ability. So before we started these podcasts even, which is about five years ago now, I remained extremely interested. Now, of course, the whole thing turned into a casino, as was to be expected. And there's going to be a circus surrounding any new invention that's full of promise. But also the potential outcomes of which are less than clear. And the fog of uncertainty gives dystopians, and utopians for that matter, plenty of room to flex their imaginations. I certainly retain the view that it's a completely remarkable invention that calls into question the whole nature of money. Which, surprise, surprise, when you start getting to, down to it, economists are not that clear about. Now whether Satoshi Nakamoto was clear about it is another matter. He may not have been. 
It seems that the whole kind of crypto notion does employ what's called a Miesian notion of money from the uh, the work on money by uh, Ludwig von Mises, who's like the, the sort of great-grandfather of neoliberalism, strangely. And... Um, I, I'm not fully up to speed on Mises' theory of money. I have I have looked at it, and it's very involved and very detailed. And I think he does do the right thing of trying to take a very close look at how, in reality, people deal with money and use money and engage with money. You know, and he's particularly uh, uh, interested in drawing attention to the way in which money has a use value of being something you can put into a cash account. In other words, a store of value for a rainy day or to leave to your children or because you want to buy something and need to accumulate some money first. So we have that, that idea. But of course, Von Mises was writing a long time ago. Uh, I think he was born in the 19th century. So uh, thing, things have moved on a little tiny bit. But one thing I would say is it puts money into the realm of the ideal. Uh, in the sense of uh, the way in which people believe in it, there's a notion here in certainly in this circle. Whether von whether von Mises espoused this himself, I'm not sure. But people who like this idea uh, do, in general, think that money works because people believe in it. Uh, and 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 it, you frequently hear it pointed out that the spontaneous arrival of currencies in prisons and school playgrounds uh, uh, it, it illustrates the way in which money is an idea, money is a belief. In prisons, for example, things like tobacco can become a currency or tinfoil. Strangely, I I I, uh, I once knew a, a bloke who spent a bit of time in jail, and he he said that while he was in jail, he became a tinfoil baron because his visitors always brought him chocolate which of course is wrapped in tinfoil but the reason why tinfoil was in great demand and could be swapped for anything literally anything at a high exchange rate uh, uh, was because it could be used for smoking heroin so there was a use case behind the 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 thing that became the currency so you might argue that, well, anything becoming a currency has to have some kind of a use case. And in the case of our kind of government money, it's use cases. We can stick it in the bank for a rainy day or to save up for a holiday. Apart, apart from just facilitating all of our ordinary exchange, buying the shopping and paying for the shopping and so forth, and paying your council tax. Uh, but... I mean, against this, you could argue that in school playgrounds, you, you you certainly used to, you'd find cards, you know, football cards and that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not sure what kids fetishise now. NFTs, maybe. I don't know. But I certainly remember doing all kinds of trades when I was a kid, you know, with rare, we've traded sort of stamps, semi-rare stamps. Uh, and even a kid would give you some money for the semi-rare stamp. Uh, and somebody give you a pound. I mean, I knew one guy, and um, he collected bus tickets. Uh, and in those days, you got a ticket when you went on the bus, a little paper square. And the, the, the ticket had a number on it, and each ticket had a unique number. 
and there was a game we'd play that you'd add up the digits on the number and if you if the digits added up to 21 it was a lucky one and you should keep it and this i don't know a kid who'd pay you if you got a 21 bus ticket he'd give you he'd give you i don't know two and six 25b or something in exchange for the fetishized um bus ticket so he was willing to give you a pound for a 21 bus ticket so the, the, this kind of these kind of phenomena are pointed out by, or certainly by certain crypto enthusiasts, who, as I say, seem to be ultimately working with a, a, an idea of money, uh, which emphasises the fact that we believe in it and trust and trust it. So it's about a kind of agreement within a community to streamline our material affairs, uh, our exchanges, uh, with basically an imaginary concept or a, a fetishised symbolic idea. Now, this idea upsets some people because they, they were used to the idea of money having a material basis, cash. Uh, and since a lot of money in the past has been in the form of metal coinage, silver in the case of the Greeks and Romans... Uh, and their civilization uh, used silver coinage uh, because uh, it started with the discovery of uh, very abundant silver mines in Greece and and so on. You can kind of you can track the history of these civilizations through their currencies. And then when gold coinage and then gold coinage, of course, is obviously it's in gold. And but other society have used things like cowrie shells. And, and there have even been, even going way, way back, some kind of ledger keeping that acted as a kind of a currency in central society. So you could keep tracks of obligations and debts and uh, uh, what, what people were due to them by way of food and, 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 and other goods. And in these scenarios, uh, uh, records would be kept in a temple or in, in the, uh, the palace of the, of the king or the emperor. So there was a kind of a guarantee by the most prestigious people in the society. Uh, uh, it was all tangled up with the hierarchical nature of uh, certain kinds of centralised, hierarchical, ordered societies. I mean, for in, in that kind of scenario, it, it, you can get the idea that money it, 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 in getting mixed up with the priesthood and with, and with the divine and so forth, or, or with the guarantee... Uh, of the divine being of the king or the emperor that money money was in a sense guaranteed by some kind of transcendental signifier and in fact it was like a transcendental signifier on the material plane now I don't really like the term material plane but it, it, what I want to capture with that word is, is, is the way in which we exchange things the way in which we exchange work, and the way in which we produce things, the way we make things, the way we cook, we weave, we manufacture, we sow seeds, we till the land, we look after animals, all in order to live material in our societies with our bodies, with our material bodies. And money streamlines that. That's such a means of exchange. That's a posh way of saying money is a means of exchange. But you can work for an hour. You can work... You can work for an hour and you'll be given a unit of money, which you can go to a shop and buy five units of chocolate, two units of milk, one unit of bacon, etc. Something like that. Think by yourself, or you can save it. The other use, store of value. People want to store value for a later time, for a time of scarcity as well, or maybe to leave to the children. 
Maybe you can't work in winter so you work hard in summer and you save. Maybe you save for your retirement when you're too old to work. Maybe you save to leave an inheritance to your children and your grandchildren. Maybe you save to give to charity, who knows? But saving, store of value, it's the it's the other one of the other uses of money. The, the other use uh, in these kind of classical definitions is that money is a unit of account. And that means it enables us to put numer- numerical value on, on units. 10 carry shells, 20 carry shells, etc. So one pound, a billion pounds, a trillion dollars, a trillion dollar economy, it, you, you know. A deficit of $500 billion. A cost of $900 billion to put a man on the moon. You know, there's a cost for everything, which is quantifiable amount. There's a number which uh, which, which you can attach. So you can kind of, you can do accounting on, on your society or on your company or on your corporation or on your bank or on your family finances or whatever. You can do accounting. You can know where you stand through this application of mathematics quantification to to our material affairs of production and exchange and so on. It means we can also do interest, we can do compound interest, simple interest, because these are numerical operations. It means we can do all of these things because we take money to be a unit of account. Now modern money has been digital for a very long time, and you can't think, what are they on about CBDs, digital currency? Money's already digital. Almost all money is now is now digital. Is there's not much coinage or banknotes? Uh, that's a few percentage. It's not even ten percent. It's two or three percent. I don't know. Of money is what's called seigniorage, which is coins, coins and notes. Mostly, money is already uh, figures in a ledger, numbers in a ledger. That's how it works. And, and this is uh, again something which which discombobulates kind of fairly literal literal minded people, I think. And uh, you, you get a, you you get a variety of commentators who have a deep regret for the fact that the dollar, the US dollar, came off the gold standard in 1971, uh, which is something that Richard Nixon did. Uh, uh, and, and declaring the dollar itself as the world reserve currency, which is been, which it had been already since Bretton Woods, but of course that was a gold-backed dollar. And Bretton Woods was in 1944. So there's no, there is now literally no uh, so-called backing, no hard stuff that we, we we can we can transport and move between places. Uh, the, 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 this idea that somehow something's material behind money that it sort of backs it because it's got this kind of solidity the, and, and, and the durability and the resistance to um, corrosion and corruption which gold has there's nothing like that it, it is just numbers in a ledger it's actually just numbers on a bloody hard drive somewhere you know and, and certainly in, in, in most advanced countries you know, cash is slowly on its way out you have a credit card a debit card I certainly haven't u- used cash for ages I think I've got a pound coin in my uh, in, in my um, in my jacket pocket you know <laughs> I don't really use use cash and I, I suspect I'm not alone it's just so convenient to just flash your card 
at the supermarket or just to do your shopping online you know you don't you don't need anything I mean all you need to do is remember your credit card number you know so money is already already digital I mean the best illustration of the digital nature of money is to think about what happens if you go to your bank and say you want a loan to refurbish your kitchen and you take in your salary slips and the bank knows how much you're earning anyway you don't even have to take in your salary slips because your money goes directly into your bank account they know you get in your your salary every month in your bank account or your pension or whatever they look at that and say oh yeah they know you you know at a glance they know what your financial affairs are and decide whether you're credit worthy or not and then they say well okay we'll lend you some money what do they do when they lend you a few k to do your kitchen i'll tell you what they do they get the ledger and they just write in your account um presumably in red because it's some i don't know just write write it they just write in your account in the positive column the the i don't know five thousand pounds because that's how much you borrowed to do your kitchen and you can then spend that five thousand pounds but of course you you are contracted uh, and it will be a legal contract uh, when you borrow that money to pay it back at a certain rate and there will be interest now what the bank does when when you when you've paid it all back when you've paid back your 5k they just uh, they just disappear it they burn it you know it's it's not added to the bank's stock of money it's just simply it's it's burned it's destroyed it's just crossed out basically we call it a token burn but they just fucking delete it press the delete key on the keyboard But they keep the interest. So in a sense, you see, you, you see this is how unstable money is. A commercial bank, like Barclays or somebody, is allowed to create that money, which, which is by making loans. They are creating money. They're plucking money out of thin air in the form of the interest. And in fact, you're allowed to spend, spend that money, which they then write off. So I mean I kind of think this 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 does kind of underscore the you know the ideational the ideal the fetishized symbolic nature of money. In fact, there's nothing more to it than that. Somebody decides you're credit worthy at a commercial bank, a bank which has got shareholders which belongs to somebody, and then that they they lend you some money. You spend it out there in the economy, and it creates work, and the blokes come in and fit your kitchen, and they they. Uh, the, the people in the factory make the units, the people in the forest cut down the trees to get the timber for the frameworks and all the rest of it. And all of this happens just because somebody writes a number in a column, uh, a column on a database or a spreadsheet, which represents your bank account. So that's money. So they don't go down into the vaults when you borrow 5k and take the 5k in £5 notes off a great big pile of other people's savings, of all the pensioners' savings that they've got in the bank, and they're putting them in another pile with your name on it, with Pete's bank account written on it. No, they, they, they don't do that at all. All they do is write in the column. So this, the, this is the, the, the convenience of, of digital money. Now, how much a bank can do all this stuff, or how little, 
is a matter that ultimately can be encouraged or tightened up or discouraged at any particular time according to the supposed needs of the economy is obviously a matter of central government control ultimately now given that they they can't just wade in on markets unless they're completely fascistic they kind of let the banks get on with it a bit and there's a wrangling over what they're going they're going to do you know the banks want it their way the government wants it its way the central bank might not be in direct agreement with the 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 the, uh, the treasury of of the government or the, uh, the finance department of the government in question and so that becomes part of the the management the unwieldy business of managing an economy that there's, there's wrangling there's competition there's differing interests nevertheless uh, money is a very, very valuable and indispensable tool, at least in our current stage of social development. You know, as a means of exchange, a unit of account, and a potential store of value. But our money doesn't have any special transcendental nature. It's not guaranteed by God, in God we trust. <laughs> it's not guaranteed by gold. It's actually, I, I would say, it's actually guaranteed at the moment in the world system by the the military might of America and the dependence of the global economy on fossil fuels, on pe- petroleum. <laughs> so we have proof of war is what I call it, you know. But that's a whole other matter which we can talk about at another date. So, now the crypto idea, you know, was was uh, was full of this realisation that money has got now a kind of transcendental nature. But uh, but the, uh, uh, given its current nature, it had got the, the world economy into a terrible mess in 2008, which we're still paying for, incidentally. We had 10 years of austerity. The current absolute financial meltdown, certainly in the UK, obviously compounded by Brexit and COVID and lockdown and blah, 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 but nevertheless is ultimately still a playing out of the, 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 the crash of 2008. Which was basically a reflection on the flimsy nature of our money system. So the, the idea of, of, of Bitcoin uh, and Satoshi Nakamoto's paper was to cut out the middleman, because middlemen can be bad actors, and there's nothing you can do to stop them. Hardly, if you understand how banks work, you know, actually able to create their own money, as I just explained, you'll realise that. That yes, there is immense potential for, for for corruption and fraud by the fact that banks completely control the ledgers, which can which which are uh, really keep track of our money. Our money is basically just a matter of ledger keeping and database, just a, just a columns of, de- of debt obligations and uh, and payments made. And, and of course, you know, over historical time, your bank statement, the bank is privy to your affairs. It's a middleman. It can fudge you. We don't have any means of guaranteeing the the immutability of that ledger. That ledger can be changed. So that the bank has quite a lot of power in virtue of its its, its position as a middleman, and we, uh, according to. The crypto bros, you know, are not very reliable in that matter, given that they crashed the economy through basically through dishonesty and swindling and fraud in 2008. 
so the, the old Bitcoin idea is that, well, yes, we, we, we continue with the idea that money is just simply a matter of numbers in a ledger, that it can be digital, that in the computer age those ledgers will be stored on and, and, and uh, administered very efficiently and quickly, uh, uh, stored on, on hard drives and, and manipulated and uh, controlled and serviced and used by basic computer systems. So the big idea was, well, let's make the ledger immutable. Let's make it now so everybody can cheat the ledger. And the idea was to have multiple copies of the ledger kept by independent entities. And, and that uh, you only add the money in your account or in your Bitcoin address if all the ledgers, if all the copies of the ledger agreed that uh, the... Uh, that the £50 that you got in your account is in fact, that you do in fact uh, have it, you are in fact entitled to spend it and to move it and this, 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 this certainty this immutability is produced by having thousands and thousands of copies of the ledger and having the procedure which makes sure that, makes sure that they all agree now anybody keeping a, a Bitcoin ledger one of the many, many, many thousands and thousands of copies of Bitcoin ledger needs an incentive to do so, so it takes a fair bit of uh, investment you need you need computing machinery and you need uh, power electric power so that's basically the idea and almost anybody anybody could participate if they wanted to if they were willing to take the trouble and in the early days you could set up a, a bitcoin mining rig on a laptop and just cheerfully mine the bitcoin in your bedroom you know bit different now because then there's an arms race on 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 the uh, the, the the computing power to to originate the bitcoin to mine the bitcoin as they say now i think this is kind of a smart idea and, and you know of course the whole thing is cryptographically protected to a very high degree of security in bitcoin's case the use of sha256 um algorithm encryption the SHA-256 encryption algorithm which is, which is a pretty pretty strong encryption now people sometimes say oh, it's imaginary money but I'm just trying to point out that the, the Bitcoin wallers went ahead with it because they realised that all money was imaginary anyway or symbolic or a fetishised commodity and certainly any idea of backing is uh, through gold this is transcendental signifier or through the government as, as a kind of transcendental authority it's all bo it's all bollocks as, as 2008 uh, uh, demonstrated so the ambition of the bitcoin project was to re remove the the middlemen and I, I kind of thought well how many bitcoin miners are there and the figure i snatched out there was about fifty thousand. but i actually went and looked it up you know and it's it's around a million and even though i suppose some of those miners will be partners in mining pools there are many, many tens and tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of copies of that ledger that I have to agree. And that, that's kind of pretty secure, if you ask me. Now, I mean, there has been, since since then, which is like a long time ago, it's 14 years ago, there has been a kind of a rise in middlemen again because the Bitcoin technology in its raw state wasn't all that usual usable by somebody without a fair bit of tech expertise 
And so they became like a, a, a species of middlemen rises up that's going to mediate for you, uh, that, that's going to supply you with a, an easy-to-use Bitcoin wallet, you know. And it, it's now a lot easier to use these things if, if you want to, but it's still probably not up there with swiping your credit, credit hovering your credit card just over, a, um, over the checkout in the supermarket, you know or using Apple Pay or Google Pay or something like that. Even though, of course, it's getting there, and in fact there are, you can stick your Bitcoin in some parts of the world where the government will let you uh, on, uh, on onto a credit card, onto a Visa card or a MasterCard, and just use that in the ordinary fashion the same. So middlemen do have a, a nasty habit of co coming back. So... I would say the fact that we've had 13 years of the distributed ledger, you know, with, with many hundreds of thousands of copies of the ledger, that we have a proof of concept by now. And now whether these, these, uh, the, these techniques could be used to handle complete economies is another matter. Now, CBDC is kind of inspired by this, I think, but it's a different Kettler card. It doesn't even necessarily use a blockchain, and, and obviously it's centralised. The whole decentralising impetus of the crypto revolution is, isn't necessarily there in the CBDC. In fact, it's not, because it's ultimately managed by the central bank. It's centralised, because it's backed by the government. It's centralised, and it doesn't necessarily need a blockchain, though I imagine some kind of... Um, I don't know, 21 nodes like you got with EOS and Steemit and, and these kind, kind of ideas. Uh, the, the, there would be some some attempt to m make the ledger, the master ledger, uh, fairly immutable. And of course, the point here is cryptographically protected. Now, the other thing that the CBDCs are, do get uh, excited about is, is the idea that it was first brought into the crypto universe uh, with the launch of Ethereum. And the idea with Ethereum was that you could improve on Bitcoin's rudimentary scripting language and have a Turing-complete language, a computer language, sitting as a layer, as a kind of a calculation layer, on the top of a blockchain, like, like a Bitcoin blockchain, which means that you could do all kinds of calculations I mean, they called it smart contracts, but it means you could do you can do all manner of things in because you have programmable money. <coughs> and this is an idea that the central banks like to get their knickers in a twist about. And this is what is exciting the uh, what I call the um, the technophobic uh, uh, conservatives. And that is the idea that you can have programmable money. But this is, this is programmable money that doesn't eliminate the middleman. And this is where it, it seems to me to be quite dangerous. It's programmable money with the middleman entrenching his powers in the process. And this is so you don't lose the advantages of the old money by the fact, advantage from their point of view, of course, by the fact that it is a that it's controlled by the government, and it's controlled by the government's friends and agencies, the banks. Uh, 
finance capital. I mean, I, I personally don't think they're advantages, but if you're a banker, they are advantages. The, bank, the bankers won't lose, lose their upper hand. They're their ability to print their own money in the form of loans, as I've just outlined. So there's immense power there, actually, because you control money. If you control money, you control everything, don't you? Because money is information, and the control of information is vital to any hegemon, or would be hegemon. But the CBDC has a security in the sense that, that its ledgers will be uh, very, will be highly immutable, very hard to fraud. But it will retain the power and consolidate the power of the middleman, because practically, and the middleman in this case will be the central bank, the Bank of England, or the, the European Central Bank. And, and, and because they will be able to surveil through the programming language of your money, not only will they be able to, to, to surveil how money is spent, because the, and this basically gives the government a bird's eye view of exactly how everybody is spending their money, or whether they're saving it, or investing it, or what they're doing with it. Everything will be traceable. Now, everything is already traceable, but it's a bit of trouble. You have to get a, get a warrant to get the bank to send your accounts to Scotland Yard, da, da. but it can be done, and there is, a, there is actually a fair degree of surveillance done on behalf of the government by our commercial banks, which strikes me as just completely out of order. I mean, I've actually experienced this. You try and send some money to Binance, and the bank turns around and says, we're not sending it. We'll say, why not? It's my money. They say, you'll lose, your, you'll lose your money. You're gambling on crypto. You'll lose your money. We don't trust. I say, well, it's my money. And they say, well, we're, 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 are you sure? Phone us up. So I, so I have like numerous phone calls to send 50 quid to buy the Binance, by which time this can take three or four days of phone calls to the bank. And the bank's telling me that I can spend my money on this, but can't spend it on that. So they're already doing this shit. But of course, this, this, uh, this CBDC initiative will streamline that. And the... The stupid, uh, the stupid. He's one of those things that the that the stupid right wing, uh, the technophobic, irrationalist conservatives do get right. Often they get one little grain of truth right, and then draw all the wrong conclusions from it. And this is why they manage to get some kind of traction and manage to be able to to astroturf a few demos in London and the like. Because there is often a great, a great, a great degree of uh, there is often a, because there is often a very small spark of truth in what what they say. There's a, there's a truthful intuition. The World Economic Forum is 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 a fucking <laughs> a disaster. CBDCs will be very dystopic, but the rest they get wrong. But of course, the other thing about programming programming language is that it enables the government to nudge populations now I mentioned earlier that there is already a Chinese digital yuan and they've been trying it out in uh, uh, Shenzhen which is the, the big the big high tech hub of China futuristic city and they brought it in there and trialled it from what I understand and what they did was, what the Chinese government was, they programmed the money to only last a few months, and then it would it would just it it would just disappear. 
or they'd shave a little bit off the value each month. And the idea being that the government decided they wanted to see if they could use the, the currency to encourage consumer spending. So if your money's going to disappear, say, in three months' time, so if you've got 50 quid, but in three months' time that money will spontaneously combust, you're going to spend it on consumer goods. You know. So when they want to discourage saving and, inclu- and encourage spending, they can do it by programming the money to self-destruct after three months. They could, for instance, if they wanted to do, program the money in a city, in a particular city, or perhaps in a country or in an area, and say... You can't spend this money on alcohol from Monday to Friday, but you can on a Saturday. They could do all kinds of nudging of public behaviour through through the fact that the money is programmable. Now, this isn't going to happen with Ethereum because Ethereum is distributed between uh, hundreds of thousands of, 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 of separate um, st- uh, stakeholders, stake in other words, people who, who, people who hold and maintain a thousand, one of the set thousands of copies of the, the ledger or the database of transactions. So it's a lot more difficult for, for say, um, our, our kind of crypto anarchist cryptocurrencies, Ethereum, Bitcoin, Monero, etc., to, 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 to manipulate our behaviour. Uh, without getting all of the uh, all of the staking pills or all of the miners to 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 agree to something that's probably not in their interest, because I think they would just lose uptake and adoption, and people are attracted to it for the freedom of it. So if this thing comes in, you'll probably be surveilled. At least if the government decides to give it all of its citizens a card, you know, which represents an account with the, directly with the central bank. And if, if, the, if the money's going to be programmable, and this seems to be what they want out, out, of, out of it, um, you will be surveilled. Yeah, and they'll say, don't let Pete Yates buy whiskey at the co-op, or don't let Pete Yates go on holiday because he's been naughty. Now, the anxiety that's expressed by the... The, the, the right wing is, is one which I think is fairly... It's one thing that they say, they've got, they've got a little bit of something right here, is that the, 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 the central bank digital currency will be used as a social credit system, which means, you, you know, if you've been naughty, the, through control of the money, the government will, will penalise you by not letting you go on holiday. Not letting you leave the country, for instance, you know. So it could go directly from... Uh, you, you, you know, you cannot spend your money on a on a ticket, you know. So, you can spend your money on the buy, on, on your loaf of bread and your rent, but you can't spend your money on a ticket to go on holiday to Japan or something. And this is, this is uh, an idea that's, that's di- that apparently the Chinese government tries to operate and which is disliked by... Uh, our, um, by by our conservatives, by our right wing, and fair enough, you know. But the idea that we don't actually already have something similar, I would I would say that we're pretty well in a similar situation already. Except the decisions about how we are to be controlled are made by private entities, by banks, by 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 finance capital. And and you do have a credit rating, you know. And 
you know, if you if you engage in in criminal activity, all of your assets can be taken from you. Uh, pretty well. The police will say, "Oh well, these are ill-gotten gains. We're going to impound them. We're going to take them." And if you've got some digital currency, they'll try and digital currency. They'll try and grab it, get the private keys, and auction it off. So we already have it. I mean, pe- people, when Bitcoin came into uh, into existence, I was already saying, well, you know, there is uh, a reason for a certain amount of disquiet here. Um, because there are possibilities for surveillance, even in, to, in this uh, an- crypto-anarchist Bitcoin, you know. But, but, but people did think that it was a, a means of making an anonymous pa- payment, you know, and there were all these warnings. That they used to, people used to say, oh, crime's going do, to be doing lovely with all this. It's going to be brilliant for money laundering. Now, of course, the banks try and stop money laundering. They surveil you under the excuse that they're trying to stop you from laundering criminal money. If you do an unusual payment with your bank, they'll report you to the police. They just will. And the police will say, well, where did you get that money? But of course, Bitcoin isn't anonymous. It's pseudonymous. It's not anonymous. And basic regular police work can generally track down Bitcoin transactions. And the reason is that you've got to on-ramp into fiat currency at the moment through a bank. You know, unless, unless you meet a guy on the street and you can give him cash for, for him to sort of put some Bitcoin from his phone onto your phone, you're, you're going to basically be traceable. Uh, and uh, the on-ramp and the off-ramp, we call it, through an exchange like Binance or something like that, uh, it means you're going to have to send some fiat, fiat money, which is recorded by the bank, and which the bank will report, and which the bank will interfere with, if it can. If uh, if the government of the day tells it to, so you're being tr- you're being bloody surveilled anyway. It's just uh, a CBDC will make it far far more efficient, and it isn't something that that that, that our regular c- cryptocurrencies can can stop either, unless they are specifically privacy coins like Monero, which does hide the the transaction path path of money, and which for which reason it's it's kind of. Um, treated with suspicion by a lot of people because it does actually enable you to keep stuff secret but most of the crypto stuff isn't secret so that's the anxiety but I would say to you you know it's an anxiety that you you should have had quite a a long time ago because you were already being surveilled through the money system and if the government wishes to bring in further surveillance, it would be fairly easy for it to do. But the CBDCs will will streamline that, streamline that, and enable the government to to nudge people in the manner which I've just described far far more easily. So the dystopian worries of uh, the, the the right around CBDCs are not misplaced. They're not properly understood. Um, given that a CBDC is only a, 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 a making more efficient of the government's project of surveillance and nudging the behaviour of populations, which it already possesses. What this whole discourse does is reveal the potential of money as a tool for the powerful to control society in their interest.
We've long known money uh, as a blunt instrument for the tasks of power. I should remember when uh, Mrs Thatcher sequestrated the miners' uh, funds, the miners' union funds in the, in the 1980s, year-long miners' strike. So a way of paralysing the strike was just simply to impound the union's money, just to freeze it. <laughs> That's a, blunt, a pretty, pretty blunt instrument. Uh, but now, money is becoming a, a, a very subtle and widely applicable and monstrously powerful tool, rather than the old kind of blunt instrument that, that it's been up till now. And that control and surveillance could, could be moving into a whole new order of intensity. Now, in the hands of the technological right, the conservative technological right, this discourse plays right into the anti-China propaganda that's uh, now being ratcheted up in the pursuit of a cold war on China, and who knows, maybe even a hot war. This is ultimately about the attempt of the American empire not to collapse quite so quickly and for China to be prevented from becoming the world economic hegemon. So the, the story becomes, in this scenario, let's not do this, let's not do this CBDC thing because we will become like them, the evil yellow peril. Something interesting happens actually as this as soon as this is uttered, as soon as this trope emerges, it simultaneously and tacitly asserts that everything is basically fine here in the West. If only silly but powerful rich people would stop trying to improve it by, for instance, stopping climate change, which isn't real anyway. By stopping vaccines, which are insidious poisons and 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 against a made-up and invented disease or a biologically engineered disease or an escaped bioweapon, whatever. So you get the, the, these kind of stories, which are fundamentally a resistance to the, the uh, change happening to the, the, the texture of our known lived experience with which if we're kind of an ordinary middle class person in, in, in the West, which can be quite, quite comfortable circumstances. So there's a, there's a conservatism in that. Anything that's going to impact on, on, on my comfortable life, or at least the life I'm used to, the life I do not want disrupting, even if it's not very satisfactory, you might say, well, I'm not having it disrupted by having to sell my petrol car and get an electric car or by having to get solar panels on the roof or whatever it might be. I'm not going to have this, dis this disruption. It's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's discombobulating. It's anxiety-inducing, and this is what it's about. So in this way, the anti-oligarch sentiment is diverted to serve those same oligarchs and their interests by, in by introducing a divide and rule element into public discourse, enabling uh, the fossil fuel polluters, for instance, to carry on with business as usual, whilst we, their potential opposition, fight each other over vaccines and, and uh, 
climate targets and uh, you know, air pollution reduction measures and, and so forth. And of course, uh, the, the clincher here is in fact that we do know that the fossil fuel industry pays for this divide and rule uh, agenda to be uh, prosecuted uh, through its kind of think tanks and institutes and all these sort of um, alphabet soup uh, setups. Anyway, that's uh, what I've got to say about that for now. I am going to dig down into details and schedules and so forth a little bit when I get some time. Because uh, this is worth keeping an eye on, I think. So, thank you for listening. Buy me a coffee. I shall put a link. I've only had one coffee bought me so far, so I'm a man dying of caffeine deficiency. And have a good apocalypse. Look after yourselves. Make knowledge great again. Lots of love. Over and out. <laughs>